Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless Possible. Welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and Zara McDonald, that would be you. Hello. Hello, producer Annabelle Lee. Oh, hi. (laughs) Coming up on today's show, what the hell, literally, is going on with Lil Nas X right now, and why is he courting so much controversy this week? Then, why influencers' mirror selfies are a big fat lie? Married at First Sight sparks important conversations about abusive relationships and how one of Australia's most iconic fashion brands, The Daily Edited, found itself in a bit of a PR shit show this week. But first, my beloved Zara McDonald, how was your week? How was my week? Well, my week was relatively uneventful and you will agree with me when you realise <laughs> or when you learn, I should say, that the highlight of my week this week was learning, <laughs> sorry, this is the dumbest thing I'm probably ever going to bring to the podcast, so just beware, that Hugh Grant's middle name. Oh, my God. (laughs) Did you know this? You told me it and I lost it. What? Hugh Grant's middle name is Mungo. So his name is Hugh Mungo Grant, (laughs) which basically means his name is Hugh Munches. Wait, I can't even say it. Hugh Munches. His name is Hugh Mungus Grant. Why Mungo? I don't know. Did you look into it? Like surely there's someone in the family who's called Mungo. Wasn't there like a Dare Iced Coffee ad last year that was all about unfortunate middle names and the person in the Dare Ice Coffee ad had like two names that just didn't go together. Surely the parents would say Hugh and then Mungo and realise we need a backtrack, we need a reverse out of this, it's not the way. It may well be a lovely family name. Um, (laughs) It's so funny because I saw it on Twitter this week and I'm now just Googling it as we sit here and there's like so many articles over the years that are like (laughs) just a reminder that Hugh Grant's middle name is Mungo, like humongous (laughs) Grant. Anyway, reminds me of Amy Schumer. Remember when she called her child Jean Attle? Yeah. And and everyone's like, 
same. Genital. Yeah, and everyone was like, this is a PR stunt. And it's like, there's absolutely no way this would be a PR stunt. Like, you're just not going to do that to your kid. They just didn't realise. My cousin was going to be called Lee, last name King, Lee King. And then they're like, we can't have Lee King oh, as yeah. our son's name. That's fair. Have I told the audience my most fun fact What's of my whole life? What's your most fun fact? My most fun fact of my whole life is that my grandpa's <laughs> name is Donald. <laughs> is that something oh I've ever God, shared? How do I not know that? Do you know that? Donald. It's actually his name. Donald McDonald. And not a joke. Like, you can't joke with your kids' names either. Why Donald McDonald? Do we know? I've never asked. <laughs> it's just sort of like, that's his name. But it's not quite a humongous grant. <laughs> so anyway, that was the highlight of my week and that's all I'm going to say. I do have a recommendation for you both. I think you'll like it, but it's a little bit scary to start. Okay. I have been watching the new Exposed documentary on ABC iView. This one's about the ghost train fire. Have you seen it around? No. I don't even know what a ghost train fire is. So back in 1979, there was a fire at Luna Park on the ghost train ride. Oh, this yeah. ghost train. And yes. it killed seven people. Six of them were children. So four of them were schoolboys. Two of them were tiny. And one was the dad of the two younger boys. So a fire broke out in the ghost train, which would just be one of the most terrifying things to be trapped in a sort of like enclosed roller coaster as a fire starts. I was really not ready for this tone. No, I'm so sorry. I really, I shifted it. I shifted it quick too. Went from humongo to like tragedy. <laughs> I've got layers. Um, so a documentary has been made by the ABC at the moment by Karen Meldrum Hannah, and it's a pretty incredible look back at how potentially corrupt the investigation was mm. that almost initially within hours it was deemed to be an electrical fault that the fire wasn't really investigated properly and now there are many many signs pointing to arson this happened on government owned land and there are many many question marks on what happened and there were seven lives lost so it's been over 40 years wow my maths is correct yeah let's go with that yeah over 40 years and they're starting to kind of crack open to it now it is three parts they all go for about an hour and a half so there's quite a bit of content here but it makes me love the ABC so much because this would have taken so much time and so much work and such good journalistic skills to be able to kind of uncover this. And it's amazing that they've been able to do it when their budgets have been slashed so much every year. Well, it shows why we need a public broadcaster, right? Like a Channel 7, Channel 9 or Channel 10 would look at that and be like, yeah, important story, but it's not going to make us much advertising revenue. So we either do it really quickly or we don't do it at all. Like to think of a Channel 7 doing what, four 90 minute episodes. Three, yeah. Three 90-minute episodes, they'd go, no, let's give it like half an hour spot in a current affair or something. Yeah, exactly. Naturally, it's probably not getting the attention that maybe it thought it would because of what's coming out of Canberra at the moment. Mm. And obviously, those conversations are so important and demanding rightful airtime. But this is also another really important watch. So if you do want to watch it, it is all out on iView at the moment, I believe. Three 90-minute episodes, I couldn't recommend it more. But the first episode is a little bit scary, I will say. I found it a little bit scary. The rest is more analytical, trying to work out what happened. Brilliant. How was your week? I have nothing to say from my week. <laughs> what, Very got- <laughs> mediocre week. Not much to report. I ordered Uber Eats more than I would like to, which is something I'm trying to combat. I did sit down on Friday night and catch up with Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Oh, you caught up with them, did you? Yeah, well, I'm a massive Kardashian fan, right? Like I've watched Keeping Up every season. I think I told the listeners last year that in the middle of quarantine, I did a big deep dive back into the old seasons and watched season one through to like 11 in the space of a few weeks. I adore the show. I find it super interesting. I hadn't kind of been on it though when season 20 launched because there's such Kardashian saturation all the time. I had missed that the actual episodes had gone live. So are they all out? No, just the first two. But 
I watched both of them and I really enjoyed it. So if you subscribe to Hey You, then you'll be able to watch it. And I've got to say, pretty juicy. It's very manufactured and like very overly edited these days. But if you want an easy watch tonight, if you're feeling a bit fatigued from work and like, I don't know, the weather going all gross, then sit down and watch Keeping Up With The Kardashians. How long is every episode? Every episode's about 40 minutes. Oh yeah. So there's chunkiness to it. There is chunkiness (laughs) to it. And in episode two, you get interesting insight into why Scott Disick and Sophia Ritchie broke up. So that's why I love the show. You get all these kind of like celebrity subplots that kind of exist on the periphery of the Kardashians. But you speaking about Cara Meldrum Hanna, who was the journalist responsible for the Ghost Train series, reminded me of a great recommendation that a listener gave me ages ago that I'm not sure if I ever spoke about on this podcast, but Cara Meldrum Hanna did incredible stuff with the exposed The Case of Kelly Lane Yes, I have a feeling either you spoke about it heaps to me or we spoke about it on this podcast, but now I can never remember whether we talk about things on mic or not. Yeah, well, let me re-recommend. If you guys love true crime, this is a true crime series that I didn't find too scary. Annabelle Lee, I'm talking directly to you because you are just like me and you don't want to feel anxious when you watch this. I don't touch true crime because it freaks me out so much. Yeah, I didn't find this personally too triggering or too anxiety-inducing. I just found it scintillating and extremely interesting. Hopefully it's still up on iView. I'm looking on my Google search and it looks like it is. So if you want another thing to watch that is the absolute antithesis of keeping up with Kardashians, <laughs> may I also recommend Exposed, the case of Kelly Lane. We're just Brilliant. recommendation central here today. <laughs> I want to play a hotline to get us into the show properly today, Michelle, because this is one of the more ridiculous hotlines we've ever re- we've <laughs> ever got. And I'm just going to leave it there and then play it. Okay. Hi, Shameless. Just some food for thought. Celebrity spell check. You've been referring to them as a she or a her. You might be wrong. Could be a male. Is you might be wrong. No, my favorite part is that it came from a username, maybe Celeb Spellcheck. And I'm like, Celeb Spellcheck has said multiple times that they're a female, has she not? I absolutely think she has. This is definitely not Celeb Spellcheck. Who, who has sent this to us at 8 p.m. on a Friday night? And yes, I was sitting at home. And yes, I opened it straight away and was like, are we being pranked right now? And like, gone to the effort to put a voice distorter on as well. Like, I just love the level of effort. Annabelle, people think you might be celeb spell check. We continually throughout the week get DMs saying, I think Annabelle Lee's celeb spell check. Well, I mean, Confirm or deny? Don't knock this voicemail. It could be me. <laughs> late at night you knew I was at home. You knew yeah. I was all over this. Hey, let's get into our first segment of the show, Mish, because we are starting with Lil Nas X. I have seen him all over my Twitter feed, all over my Instagram feed, all over my everything news feed, and I still don't quite understand what's going on. Well, 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 I'm here to explain. I mean, Zara and I, for context, guys, we've both done research for this segment, but Zara is going to try and sit in the listener shoes because what we've realized across the last couple of days is a bunch of listeners need an explainer. They've kind of like missed the boat on Lil Nas X and Montero Call Me By Your Name and they need someone to lay it all out for them and explain what the fuck is going on. So I will be that person. Yeah, good. Because all I'm seeing is Blood Sneakers, The Devil and Lil Nas X. (laughs) And I think anyone who's seen those three things (laughs) definitely needs some sort of way to connect them all. So the first thing I'm going to ask you, Michelle, is what the hell is going on? What the hell is going on? So Lil Nas X, we know 
know him quite well now. He released the single Old Town Road yes. a couple of years ago. Went absolutely crazy. Via TikTok, right? He went crazy via TikTok first. He is completely self-made. So he grew up in Georgia, very small town, literally guy. And he just cultivated this celebrity status by harnessing the power of social media. So Lil Nas X is nothing short of a genius in my mind when it comes to Gen Zers really carving out their own careers for themselves online. So... This week, he released a single, it's called Montero, and then in brackets or parentheses, Call Me By Your Name. Montero is Lil Nas X's real name. So this is a song that he has written to his 14-year-old self, which is why he addresses himself as Montero. He wrote about it on Twitter when he released the song saying, Dear Montero, I know we promised to never come out publicly. I know we promised to never be that kind of gay person. I know we promised to die with the secret. But this will open doors for many other queer people to simply exist. So this song and this music video are different in a really refreshing, really interesting way. This, to my knowledge and to the knowledge of many people online, is the first representation of a black gay rapper expressing sexual desire in mainstream rapping with a huge single like this. So in the music video, Lil Nas X gyrates on the devil. He swings down a pole, like he's pole dancing. He is very steamy, very sexy, very much showing that he wants to have sex with the men in the music video. And that is new. Some of the backlash that I'm seeing and some of the tweets that I'm seeing online feels very reminiscent to the backlash we saw when WAP was released. What were people saying? Like they were crying angel tears. I think I made that up. <laughs> <laughs> no, people were saying like pour holy water in my ears, yeah, I think, to that. protect me. Yes, that feels very much like we've got like a core Christian audience here who feel very put off by what they're saying. Yeah, absolutely. I would say this is even a level on top of that because not only do we have have the layers of race and of sexuality. We also have the layer of a gay man yeah. showing that he wants to have sex with people and showing that those desires are legitimate and okay. I think where this all went into overdrive is that as part of the promotion for this song and this music video, Lil Nas also released 666 pairs of his Satan <laughs> shoes. Now, this was interesting. This was a collaboration with a fashion startup called MSCHF. I hate that name. Please make it easier. I think it's Mischief. Just without the... I would never have got that. I could probably go to my grave and never have seen that mischief in those letters. I'm thinking it's mischief just without any of the vowels. So he released these. They are modified, literally modified Nike Air Max 97s containing, quote, one drop of human blood in their souls. They retailed for over $1,000 US and they sold out in under a minute. Oh, my god! Now, this sparked controversy for a couple of reasons. The first reason is that Nike is now suing mischief and Lil Nas for misusing their name. So these shoes literally had the Nike swoosh on the side, but they weren't in collaboration with Nike. Nike got angry because basketball athletes who are signed with Nike tweeted out that they wouldn't be wearing Nike shoes on the court because they were Christian and this goes against their values, when Nike had nothing to do with this collaboration in the first place. Yeah, this is a really hard part about this because up until this point, Lil Nas X is doing whatever he wants and and that is what he should be doing. But when you are bringing another brand's name into something and using that brand, because you are leveraging 
building off that brand and the Nike Air Max sort of popularity, then that is absolutely when you're going to be sued. Well, that's what caused so many headlines. Before Nike came out and clarified that, no, they in no way had anything to do with these shoes, people were running headlines being like, what the hell? Nike, like a huge <laughs> multinational corporation. Say, off brand for Nike. Yeah, has completely gone against yeah. the line that they've tried to toe for decades now, which is uncontroversial in any way that they can kind of manage. I know there has been controversy that's followed the brand, particularly with sweatshops. But ever since then, they've been very dedicated to not rocking the boat. Yeah, This is rocking the boat and no wonder they weren't involved in the first place. So that's one side of the controversy with the shoes. The second side of controversy is the very conservative politicians, celebrities, athletes who have come out and condemned Lil Nas X. So South Dakotan governor Christy Nome tweeted, our kids are being told that this kind of product is not only okay, it's exclusive. But do you know what's more exclusive? They're God-given eternal souls. We are in a fight for the soul of our nation. We need to fight hard and we need to fight smart. We have to win. Now, this went viral. Lots of people got on the back of this and were like, yes, we must fight against Lil Nas X. He sold his soul to the devil. This reminds me, sorry, quick tangent of the episode of The Simpson where Bart sells his soul (laughs) and he's like rowing in the, everyone's like rowing in a boat with their soul and he doesn't have his soul. And he can't get through like automatically (laughs) opening doors because apparently they detect your soul before they open for you. Fucking weird, Christy Gnome as well. The other thing that I'm seeing when it comes to the backlash, Mish, is so many people offended by the sexualized nature of the devil like the things that Lil Nas X wants to do to the devil and to that I keep thinking but like you all created the devil he is a spirit this is not actually happening to the devil yeah and I also think it's important context to know that Lil Nas grew up in the church his dad is a gospel singer he tried to be Christian for so long and his experiences within the church filled him with so much shame when it came to his sexuality and so much depression to be honest that he was forced out of it like he is openly said and he told the Guardian this last year that he was so shameful of his own sexuality that he had planned on dying with the secret that he was gay. He was planning on living as a straight man because the Christian church didn't make him feel like he could live any other way. I think that context is super important here. Yes, he's invented this hell utopia where gay people can do whatever they want, but that is a commentary on what Christianity has done to gay people for millennia. Absolutely. It reminds me of this really wonderful tweet I saw from Ryan Ken, which said, Lil Nas X sliding down a pole to give Satan a lap dance will do far less harm to children than theologies that make them feel like their lives don't matter, Mm. which is exactly the point that Lil Nas X is making here. But for so long in this sort of context, his life has been told that it doesn't matter and he's kind of pushed back on that actively. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, like, what are these Christian conservatives really worried about? Christianity to me, I know plenty of very socially progressive, very loving, and adoring Christians who would say that the more harmful thing in society is those theologies, is the idea that gay people can't live their lives as they want. I find it really curious that a bunch of people find this music video more offensive than the institutionalised homophobia that their churches and their religion has permeated. I would recommend, just as a final note here, follow Lil Nas X on Twitter. He has some incredible sort of like, do we call them? I don't want to do this, but I'll call it a clapback because <laughs> I hate that word that features in every single headline ever. But he has some amazing clapbacks at every single person who criticises this. So go follow him. Absolutely. And I mean, the shoes are one thing. I'm going to put that to the side because I don't know how I feel about blood in shoes and I don't know how I feel about I going mean, after a brand or incorporating a brand that didn't give you permission to. That, yeah, not so great. If they want to put 
blood in shoes. I mean, there's clearly a market for it. Exactly. What I will stand by is Lil Nas's final tweet on this. He said, I spent my entire teenage years hating myself because of the shit y'all preached would happen to me because I was gay. So I hope you are mad. Stay mad. Feel the same anger you teach us to have towards ourselves. Coming up after the break, Married at First Sight sparks important conversations about abusive relationships and then we need to talk about what's going on at The Daily Edited. But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Michelle, Elizabeth Andrews, what are you starting with today? I love that Annabelle nods her head along with the <laughs> rhythm of that, like we do it every week. I didn't week. know you saw that. <laughs> My first story, Ed Sheeran shows off his new tattoo and takes selfies with locals as the singer and wife, Cherry Seaborn, enjoy a stroll with baby daughter Lyra after a pub lunch in Victorian seaside town of Sorrento, Daily Mail. <gasps> That is not made for a person with asthma to read out. It's not even made for anyone to read out. In (laughs) fact, I suspect we might be the only people in Australia that ever read them out loud. Hey, so Ed Sheeran's in Australia at the moment, in case you missed it. He performed at the State Memorial for late music mogul Michael Gadinsky at Rod Laver Arena in Melbourne on Wednesday. A couple of interesting parts to this story, if you'll allow me to take this in many different directions. So he reportedly quarantined in New South Wales just before the floods. So he escaped just before the floods. He reportedly quarantined at a 141-acre house, pad, (laughs) farm, whatever we want to call it. That is an estate on the Hawkesbury River that is valued at $4,723 a night. I love that you skipped past the name of this estate because the name, I'm going to try... Sweven. Oh, yeah. Sweven. Sweven? Seven with a W randomly placed in there. Sweven. (laughs) When you say it like that, it just sounds like a kid trying to say seven. Anyway, a fun fact. According to the Sydney Morning Herald, actress Julia Roberts shacked up with Ed and Cherry in (gasps) this quarantine period, apparently perhaps to save money. What is Julia Roberts doing in Australia? I don't know. According to sources who spoke to the Sydney Morning Herald, a group of six people arrived in Australia earlier this month were granted an exemption from standard hotel quarantine and quarantine together at this estate. We don't know who the two others are. It's all but being confirmed that Julia Roberts was one of them. Apparently as well, Nicole Kidman organised security for them, so handed them her security from Australia. I want to know, like, Julia Roberts and all these A-listers are clearly coming here. Apparently Natalie Portman's living in Sydney right now. Are they coming here because coronavirus is so intense in the US and they want some kind of reprieve or escape? Because... I would also want that, but also like what a luxury to be able to just up and leave your own country and come to the oasis that is currently Australia. Yeah, absolutely. And be granted an exemption from hotel quarantine. But that said, if they are quarantining, I don't especially care where they're quarantining. Like if they're not going to be clogging up spots for other people, then perhaps it's a better outcome. I do want to add that Ed Sheeran went and got a tattoo at a tattoo parlour that was like only 100 metres from a place where I used to live. And I got FOMO being like, I used to live there. And Mitch was like, you're just trying to find any connection to Ed Sheeran that you can. (laughs) Absolutely. Just the fact that he's in Melbourne, I'm like, oh, Ed, me and Ed. (laughs) I didn't realise how close Ed Sheeran and Michael Gadinsky were. So he obviously flew from England to Australia because he was desperate to get to the State Memorial for someone he considered a father figure and mentor. The tattoo that you speak of, I'm assuming, is the tattoo he got in memory of Michael Gadinsky. So he is down here. I think they're extending their stay. I think they had a lovely little lunch at Hotel Sorrento. I've been to Hotel Sorrento. Same. We're basically Ed Sheeran's friends. This line 
from Daily Mail made me smile a bit because they said as they continued their stroll, the thinking out loud hitmaker and his wife were soon introduced to Victoria's famously unpredictable weather with the sun vanishing and the heavens opening. And I felt such deep shame for my state. <laughs> <laughs> they at least closed the heavens. So Stop embarrassing us. Stop embarrassing us in front of Ed. It's true. I get so embarrassed when people come to Melbourne and they're like, oh, it's freezing. It's like, shut up. <laughs> I know. <laughs> anyway, my second story. Addison Ray taught Jimmy Fallon TikTok dances, but Twitter remembers who created them. That is from the Los Angeles Times. If you guys recognize that name, Addison Ray, she is, of course, the second biggest creator on TikTok. She has 78.9 million followers. She, after becoming famous on TikTok, has gone on to become the co-founder of Item Beauty. She is venturing into acting via Miramax's remake of She's All That. She is also Zara pursuing a singing career, which is why she was on Jimmy Fallon in the first place. Correct. Her new single that I've forgotten the name of that is something about Obsessed. obsessed. I think it's Obsessed, Obsessed with me, Obsessed with you, something about Obsessed. <laughs> anyway, is actually not about track, if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I'm addicted to it. I said to Zara yesterday, I'm like, can I play it out loud in the office? She's like, only if you listen to it through your own headphones because I can't stop singing it. I couldn't get it out of my head. But yeah, as you say, so she performed on Friday's episode of The Tonight Show. And as part of that sort of performance, she also, you know, they kind of engage in sort of gaggy things with the host of the show like yeah. well like little games little gimmicks yeah absolute gimmick that is absolutely the word I was <laughs> gaggy little gaggy <laughs> things was not at all what I meant to say anyway so what they did was Jimmy Fallon was holding out posters of really well-known TikTok viral dancers and yeah. she was expected to very quickly perform them because the idea was she knew all these TikTok dancers so well yeah it was like recall right that instantly she could see the name of the dance and instantly do it on the spot and then all of a sudden the dance changes and she has to do that instantly as well and she was pretty good at it. Like she clearly has memorized these dances. But what people have pointed out on social media is that she isn't the creator of these dances. In fact, all eight are from other choreographers. Five of those eight I counted are from choreographers of colour, which I think is important because while Addison Ray has built a social media following off talent for dancing, she has potentially profited off the creative work of other artists who haven't historically been credited properly and she has been the one to kind of amass fame, amass wealth, amass all these privileges off the back of other people's work. Yeah, and so I think the conversation that came from this episode of The Tonight Show was very symptomatic of a much wider TikTok problem, which is the idea that you just said, Mish, that young white girls are building incredibly successful careers off the back of choreography that isn't their own. And often it is people of colour who is creating this choreography. And so if you're thinking about this story, thinking, okay, well, she was just doing the dances, like this isn't her fault. It's very much a case of, well, there should have been a conversation at hand at The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. The Tonight Show probably should have done this too, where they thought, okay, how are we going to credit the people who have done all of this work? Mm, what I will say, Addison Ray is 20. I feel like in this scenario, I understand why people are angry. Absolutely. But I think sometimes the anger has been a little bit misdirected to a 20-year-old who was on a primetime television show and isn't in the producing room, isn't behind these ideas. She's probably just been asked to do it. I think the anger should absolutely be towards The Tonight Show in this particular instance. The producers should be showing or crediting the choreographers when that dance is on. I don't know, literally, I don't know in this circumstance how Addison Rae in the moment would like yell out the creator name or like present that to the audience somehow like she's on a primetime show just doing what they've asked her to do just one thing on that because I do agree with you in the moment it's perhaps not entirely Addison's fault but she was given space to respond to the backlash 
And she said to TMZ on Monday, it was kind of hard to credit during the show, but she wants to collaborate with these choreographers one day. She went on to say, I definitely don't do them justice. They're all so amazing. It was never my intention and they definitely deserve all the credit. She also didn't name them in that backlash. Like I think if I was working in Addison's team, I would say the smartest, most compassionate thing we can do right now is to make sure we know exactly who created these dances and that we are publicly thanking them. But she didn't do that either. So I think that's where it fell down for me. Some of the choreographers who were not named included Maya Nicole, Keke Janaja, Flyboy Flu, Young Prince and Jason Derulo. Obviously Jason Derulo (laughs) probably doesn't need the shout out, but those relatively unknown names who often only have a few thousand followers and yet are responsible for these viral movements do deserve to be shouted out. I did enjoy this tweet from Annalise Keating. This got 300,000 likes. She wrote, I think black creators should just stop creating content for a good six months and just observe what these people come up with. I think that's fair. I think a lot of the stuff we see online is from incredible black talent and it's totally fair enough that someone would say, imagine what it would be like. Imagine what these platforms would be like without those talents creating stuff for everyone else to enjoy. Great point. My third story, thousand sign petition calling for Channel 9 to apologise for triggering MAPS couple. That is from Lad Bible. So a change.org petition was created this week that has demanded Channel 9 issue an apology for airing what the petition says are triggering scenes between two characters. I guess we're going to call them characters or contestants of Married at First Sight. The couple that we're obviously talking about here is Bryce and Melissa. And specifically, we're talking about Bryce's behaviour. So if you aren't watching Married at First Sight and have no idea what's going on, Bryce has been from the start, the most controversial person on this show. Almost the most controversial ever. Like I know every season we seem to have a douchebag guy that everyone finds really frustrating and finds upsetting at moments too, but Bryce seems to be almost like an amalgamation of all the other male villains we've seen on this show. Like he truly is extremely frustrating to watch and extremely antagonising towards everyone in the group. Yeah, and people in this petition are arguing that this is kind of glorifying a relationship that is built on gaslighting and that has hallmarks of emotional abuse. So if you want to know things that he's done, you might remember that we've spoken about Bryce on this podcast before because we spoke about that scene in Married at First Sight where some of the brides and grooms were asked to rank the rest of the contestants from hottest to least hot. He ranked his wife, Melissa, the fourth hottest in the task, but was the one that was like, oh, I just feel so bad. I feel so (laughs) bad. And it's like literally no one's forcing you to do this. He also said that Melissa was not his type during an honesty box challenge. He's also said to her when she's been talking about her history of low self-esteem, well, you're not ugly. Mm. He also flirted with his co-star, Beck, who was the person he voted as hottest on that list at the gym, which obviously is not good for his wife, Melissa, and her own confidence. Weirdly, on Sunday's commitment ceremony, when they were asked to, you know, they're asked to write leave or stay and then turn it to the cameras and turn it to the experts. He wrote leave and then kind of crossed it out and was like, oh, no, I just wanted to leave the experiment, not her. Mm. Like turn it really, really weirdly. But I think the most troubling thing that I've seen so far is from Tuesday night's episode, Mish, where he kissed another contestant, Beck, to say sorry, but without her consent. Yeah, he kissed her against her will. So we're not just saying he surprised her with a kiss and then she giggled afterwards. He approached her, sarcastically told her she is the new queen of the show. And then while she tried to wriggle away from him, he forced a kiss onto her. She then cried and other people in the group were telling him what a disgusting move it was. So this was picked up 
in the moment yeah, and she was saying, out. yuck, why did you do that? Like, why did you do that? Yeah, which is assault. Yeah. You cannot kiss a woman without her consent, not just without her consent, but with her express non-consent. Like, exactly. she's told you she doesn't want that. What really troubles me about Bryce is that he also pushes this rhetoric onto his partner, Melissa, of it's us against the world. And I feel like that's a really isolating tactic in relationships to be like, it's you and me, everyone's against us. It almost makes your partner believe that, you are their life raft and without you, they will be stranded in the ocean with no form of security, no form of safety. You are their safety. You are their universe. And therefore, if you're taken away, they have nothing. Well, it's also that sense that they don't understand us. Like they don't understand me. They don't understand us. So anything they say can be kind of deemed irrelevant mm. because they simply don't have the understanding of what we have. Mm. Like it's building yourselves up. I had a couple of thoughts before Tuesday's episode where they aired that definite non consensual kiss I wondered if it's actually a good thing for this to be on screens like because we are having a national conversation about red flags about what abusive relationships can look like but also then the other part of me was like well yeah it's one thing to have that on screen but it's another for the show to not explicitly point out what it is like it's not Mm. like the experts are sitting there being like that is x y and z Mm. I think the experts this year have been better than what they have been in previous years it would be quite powerful to see Bryce actually kicked off the show and see them put their foot down I agree with you though I think it's absolutely educational for the country I mean this is one of the most watched shows in fact I think it is the most watched show that we have on primetime television it is sparking plenty of conversations about what gaslighting is about what emotional abuse and what emotional manipulation are I feel like those are two forms of abuse that we have failed to take super seriously before we've always taken physical and financial abuse semi-seriously but as far as emotional abuse is concerned there's often this idea of like oh well you can't see it so like what do you actually mean it's all semantics kind of thing I'm really impressed to see so many men call this out online. I think the next step now is to see the actual show put their foot down. I'll be quite disappointed if Bryce makes it through to the very end because I think at this point where he is forcing kisses on contestants, female contestants on camera, which is entirely about power. That is not about sex. That is not about attraction. That is about an abuse of power in my mind. He needs to be taken off the show. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It will be really interesting to see if after this kiss has happened, if the petition gains even more popularity because this petition was started well before that. Mm. My fourth story, people thought Zayn and Gigi Hadid had gotten married in secret and for like 2.3 seconds, Twitter lost its entire (laughs) mind. That is from BuzzFeed. A bit of a silly one today. If you missed this story, I mean, we're back to where we started. Gigi Hadid and Zayn Malik are not married. (laughs) But the reason that this rumour was Rife on Twitter was because Zayn Malik is collaborating with the singer Ingrid Michaelson at the moment on a new single to begin again. And Ingrid Michaelson did a live stream on Patreon and she accidentally referred to Zayn as a married man. Her quote was, We've never met, I've never spoken to him. Zayn doesn't do stuff he doesn't want to do, and the fact he did this song is very flattering. He's such a private person and now he's married and has a child, so he does the things <laughs> he wants to do. Naturally, Twitter jumps on that bandwagon within minutes. The hashtag Zayn is married is trending. Gigi was trending in Australia as well. So everybody thought, okay, well, they're married. Couple of things I want to know. First and <laughs> foremost, 
how can they create a song without ever meeting or speaking? That's like, so standard these days. Yeah, they're in different so, studios. But they don't even speak about how they're going to do it. No, it's all done through teams. I've heard plenty of musicians talk about this. I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, that is batshit crazy and makes me kind of like sad. Me like too. You want to think of them in a studio kind of. Why wouldn't you just pretend that you had spoken? I think it mm. makes the song or the beauty behind it like a bit more real. God, <laughs> I sound so earnest. But it's like, I want to think that you guys collaborated on this, as you said. It makes the art that they produce feel more hollow if you know and that it's kind of all manufactured yeah. Absolutely. The other thing that I want to know is what would change if Gigi and Zayn were married? <laughs> like they already have a baby together. They've been together for years, which is not to say marriage doesn't matter. Marriage is great for whoever picks it in their life. But I'm just like the excitement about them getting married is interesting to me. As a fan looking on, what changes <laughs> about your perception of them as a couple that makes you want them to get married so much? Maybe it would be, I'm trying to think if I was a Zayn stan, it would be like I want to see photos from the secret wedding. Yeah. What did Gigi wear? It's kind of like all the frilly stuff around the marriage. It's more the wedding. That's all I care about. I just want to see photos. Anyway, poor Ingrid has had to follow up and said, so I should be asleep, but it's been a crazy hour, hour and a half on my Patreon live stream. I said that I'm working <laughs> with Zane. I mentioned he was married and he's not married. As far as I know, he's not married. It was a mistake. I'm so sorry. I said I was sorry. I don't live in this world. So the level of fame, it makes me really, truly admire Zane and anybody with that level of fame. Every little thing you say is just, wow, I'm not built for it. Wow. Imagine having to grovel, be like, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Especially groveling to Zane when you've actually never spoken to him either. <laughs> like this is essentially a stranger accidentally saying the wrong thing and then having to apologize to another stranger. It's a classic tale as well of like, I read it on the internet, so it must be true. Like this Ingrid Michaelson woman has said, we've never met. I've never spoken to yeah. him. And yet we're going to take her saying he's married as gospel should, and start a trend. It's honestly like us saying something on this podcast, saying Jane, Jane and Zizi. Oh my God, <laughs> Gigi and Zane are married. Like that's how believable it must be. <laughs> my fifth story. I can't stop thinking about how influencer mirror selfies are a fucking lie. That is from Pedestrian. What a story. I don't know if you guys were seeing this story around this week or in the last few weeks, but it turns out mirror selfies, the ones where influencers have their phone up, taking a photo in the mirror, are not quite real. The reason that we know this is thanks to a TikToker by the name of Clara, who revealed this revealing fact on TikTok. (laughs) I'm going to play a snippet from her TikTok because she explains it very, very well. I'm gonna let you guys in on a top secret secret for all of the blogger mirror pictures you see. So have you ever noticed bloggers always get the most perfect mirror selfies? Like their mirrors are so clean. It just seems like they always have mirrors in the most convenient places with the best lighting and like I said, no smudges. So here's the secret. There is no mirror. All you need is a second phone or a spare camera. So here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna set up your phone on a tripod anywhere you want with any backdrop you want. Then you're gonna use your other phone as a prop. And then using self timer on your phone, you're gonna pose. And ta-da, what you get is a very crisp looking mirror selfie. Does that make any sense to either of you? No. <laughs> I just heard that audio and I have no idea. Your eyes have been on. darting. Okay, Annabelle, I know how you're feeling. Listeners, I know how you're feeling. Because <laughs> Zara told me about this yesterday and I was like, I have no fucking clue what you're on about. Like, please explain. I'm going to try and set this out as clearly as Go. I can. You hold the phone in front of your face as if you're taking a mirror selfie. But what the influencers are doing, instead of having a mirror in front of them where they've got their reflection mirrored back to them, they've got another phone. So often a phone on a tripod that is literally just taking a photo of you holding your phone up. But because your phone's in the centre, it looks looks like like a mirror selfie. 
But by doing this tactic and using this technique of photo taking, you can pretend you have a mirror anywhere. So you can take it to the best lighting of your room. It's always crisp. It's always easy to see because there is no mirror. Who invented this? I don't know. Who was the first influencer? And how is there like some secret society of people (laughs) that have taught each other this? Because it makes so much sense. I don't take a lot of mirror selfies in my time, but every time I do, I always try to get the mirror out of the photo and I never can. You know, you can always see the outline of the mirror if it's like a long mirror or an oval mirror. I can never get the mirror out. I also feel like the angle of the mirror distorts yes. the photo a little bit. Like you need the angle to be perfect, but using this technique, it's perfect every time. And I know it because we tried it yesterday in the office. <gasps> we were trying it. Oh, you know what? Post let's, the photos. Let's post the photos yeah. and be like, which one's a mirror selfie, which one isn't? I think we need to take them around the office where they're, because we have mirrors around here. We need to take one with a mirror, one without a mirror. And then the listeners have to be polled in our Instagram stories at Shameless Podcast on Instagram and tell us which is the mirror selfie and which is the fake. I will pop the link to this TikTok in our show notes as well if you are not driving or something like that and actually want to see the visuals as well. I mean, God, it's confronting. Do you think you would do it now? Confession, I really want to. <laughs> I, like, I want to try. I really want to. But the thing is, how do these influencers get their hands on second cameras and second phones? Do the influencers pull together and use each other's phones to take these fake mirror selfies? Part of me thinks, yes, that other people would be taking them. Part of me thinks also if you're an influencer, it's probably a good investment to buy a second phone, <sighs> content yeah. phone. I bet you the Kardashians began this. Yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's all I've got time for. Thank you so much. Thank you, next bitch. What happens when a cult luxury brand, a brand that has partly been built off the friendship of its two founders, finds itself in the headlines because of the disintegrating relationship between those two said founders and friends? Well, you might have to ask the Daily Edited, who this week found themselves in the news thanks to a court battle between its directors, Elise Tran and Tanya Leo. The headline in WA Today read, Side Hustle, Birthday Catering at the centre of a court battle between Perth Pair, who founded Australian Luxury brand. So what actually happened? In a nutshell, one director accuses the other of spending upwards of hundreds of thousands of dollars of company money on her own personal expenses. It's messy and is playing out not just in the courts, but now in the public arena. So why do we care? Because today I think companies don't just build their brand on the backs of good product, but the founders themselves. And when the founders find themselves in a mess, well, we are inclined to listen. Mish, let's start with the brand itself because it it goes beyond just being a company to kind of like a an Instagram pop culture phenomenon of its own. Yeah, and being self-aware, we also do this. Like Shameless Media yeah. is built off the back of our friendship with each other, Zara, so quite meta for us to talk about stuff like this. It is, but also a podcast dynamic is built on that. Like yes. companies do centre their founders often in a way that they don't actually have to. They just choose to because it's better for the brand. We have to have a relationship <laughs> or else the podcast doesn't exist. Absolutely. So full transparency, we also had Elise. We've met Elise. We've talked to her for 45 minutes for an In Conversation episode before. So we want to talk about this today because clearly we have had an interest in this brand and these women for a very long time. And to be honest, we were really, really shocked to see these headlines come out this week. Before we get to the story that was initially broken in Business News, Mish, and get to the details of what's actually transpired, let's talk about the brand itself. I think the vast majority of Australian women will be familiar with The Daily Edited because it is a brand that's semi-synonymous with our generation. Our generation has really built this trend of personalising everything. Like the days of personalised number plates are 
kind of gone and now we personalize our leather goods, our phone cases. You and I both have daily edited phone cases. Annabelle, I'm so sure that you either do I as well. I definitely do. Yeah. So we are three people who have really bought into this brand. We've spent our money with this brand and this brand has also put their mark on our generation. They have 336,000 followers on yeah. Instagram. They are always featured in Vogue, spoken about in Vogue. Fashion Bibles adore them. Influencers adore them. And they're a huge force, not just in Australia, but now in New York where they have shops too. Yeah. And I think this is a story I care deeply about because I think our generation, perhaps more so than any other generation before us, has an extreme emotional attachment to certain brands. Like brands build themselves as something bigger than a brand, as something bigger than a company. And we fall in love, not just with the product, but the story behind the Mm. company. Like the story in this case of two young lawyers pushing themselves to the limit in their jobs with a side hustle and building one of the country's biggest accessory brands. And they rose at a time where a lot of that girl boss capitalism was at its peak, I think, at a time when we as a generation became obsessed with women building things and making buckets of money in the process. Like entrepreneurship, I think, at this time became glamorous. It became the cool thing to strive for. And I feel like they were a huge part of that story alongside people like, you know, the founders of Frank Body, Tash and Elle from They All Hate Us, Kayla Ritzinas, even perhaps Go To Skincare. Like yeah, a lot Zoe of Blake, yeah. A lot of these companies were sort of swirling at a similar time. Yeah, absolutely. I think the Daily Edited, like those brands you just touched on as well, Zara, kind of straddled that line between startup business and Instagram influencer. Particularly Elise Tran, who is one of the co-founders, has always been very public, always been willing to do interviews like with us on our podcast, Zara. She has 15,000 followers on Instagram and I've followed Elise for such a long time because I find her lifestyle and her fashion sense to be so aspirational. Like Elise is renowned for her taste in things. It was only three weeks ago that she spoke to The Australian about her interiors in her home and her wardrobe. Like she gave the quote to The Australian that all of the brands featured in her shoe collection were all Bottega, all Chanel. I'm like that Sex in the City character. I don't have anything. I just have the shoes. The fact that the Australian even wanted to interview Elise about her taste in interiors and about her taste in fashion speaks to what a force she is in the influencer game. Absolutely. And I think how people look at them, not just as business owners, but fashion icons too. Like I remember working in women's media back in 2015, 2016, 2017, and there seemed to be an absolutely insatiable appetite for stories of women building stuff. Like I think I first interviewed Tanya and Elise back in 2017, Mm. four years ago, and their growth at that time and since then has been very public. Like their revenue has always been public and they have wanted us as consumers to buy into their story and their growth as much as we did their product. And it worked. Like, as you said, Mitch, the Daily Edited has grown to have an annual turnover of about 25 million and has flagship stores in Sydney, Melbourne and New York. Mm. So what's happened this week? An article was published and it was also featured in the Sydney Morning Herald that read the partnership, as in the partnership between Tanya and Elise, now appears to be strange with Tanya accusing Elise of using the daily edited funds to both build her other business and to pay for her own personal expenses. Court documents revealed that Tanya, who spent four years setting up the manufacturing side of the business in Hong Kong and China, while Elise focused on marketing the brand in Sydney, launched legal action in the Supreme Court of New South Wales soon after she moved back to Australia in 2019. So this has been going on for quite a few years now. And as we said, the crux of it is one director accusing the other of using company funds for personal use. It's a bit like 
legally complicated as to where they're at in the legal proceedings at the moment. But I think it's important because it's very confusing to me as to why the story has broken now when this has been before the courts for a long time. But we aren't yet at a point where the court has proved whether Elise has acted improperly as a director. All they've done at the moment is gone before a court and Tanya has argued that these are the things that she's been seeing and she wants to pursue Elise on behalf of the company. And basically what that means, Mish, if I'm going to use ourselves as an example right now. Please. Because we are both directors of our own company. It would be like me thinking that you might be doing some things that I don't agree with and me thinking, okay, we're both 50% directors of this company. I want to pursue you on behalf of the company because I don't think you're doing good things for the company. I need to go to a court and say, do you give me permission to pursue Michelle on behalf of Shameless, even though Michelle is 50% of Shameless? Does that make sense? That does make sense. So that's where we're at at the moment. The court said, yes, I'll let you do that. Now, as part of those court proceedings, there were a total of 3,644 expenses that Tanya had question marks over. However, she agreed for, I guess, ease sake or just to kind of condense the whole process to only include expenses over $500, which brought the amount of expenses under question to about 800. Yes. So a court-appointed expert found 809 different transactions, each over the value of $500, to potentially be, and I quote, not proper expenses for the business. So the minimum amount we're talking here, if we're just doing simple maths, of minimum of $500 per transaction, we're looking at 809, this is a sum of $404,500 minimum that we're looking at. And that's assuming each of these transactions is 500, when in reality, we know there will be variance, potentially quite a big variance with some of these sums. Absolutely. So we're not talking about a small amount of money here and you can understand why there is now a publicly fractured relationship between the two. Tanya also said in this affidavit, I also believe that in many instances in which the company has brought expensive luxury items such as designer clothes, handbags, jewellery rugs and high-end makeup, even if they were initially used for the purposes of marketing, and I do not accept they were, but even assuming they were, those items should still be in the company's possession or else sold and the company at least then recouping some of the original expense. So there's Mm. a lot going on here. Yeah, absolutely. The investigation also includes a $27,000 34th birthday party. So $27,000 was potentially spent on event planning, catering, alcohol and travel for Elise Tran's 34th birthday party, which... Tanya wants to look into. Elise Tran did make a comment to the Daily Mail. She said, I am strenuously defending the claims against me and have also filed a cross-claim that raises a number of substantial issues against Miss Leo. I don't intend to pursue those issues through the media. Tanya has also given a statement. She said the litigation between herself and Elise has been challenging, but her focus remains on the success of the Daily Edited and working with Elise and their team. Both of them in these statements have said, yes, this is happening, but we are still working together for the Daily Edited and our priority is the success of the company. Which is so interesting to me because if you and I lost trust with each other, I don't know how we'd work together. Like my trust in you and I think your trust in me is the most important thing to our company. Like we obviously are not anywhere near the size of the daily edited. God no. We only have a handful of employees and a very tight-knit team. But if we don't trust each other as the directors of this company, how could we possibly work together every day? Well, I think a lot of people would be thinking about this now themselves, about whether they have a company or whether they don't, but just working with people who they have tension with now and how they could possibly move forward. I mean, if they're able to, props to them 
happen because it would be very, very difficult. And I think you'd have to put a lot to the side and look at the much bigger picture, which is they've both spent years building this company and neither of them want to give that up. Which is totally fair enough as well. But I see a company as a marriage, like you and I share a bank account and the way we spend our money or the kind of values we have financially is super important when it comes to building a business. To have the Daily Mail writing this story, putting it as the top story on their homepage yesterday under a huge headline of best of frenemies can't be good for a company and it can't be good for that company's branding. Like this company has been built off dozens of articles about their friendship, about their startup narrative. How on earth can you go forward like this and kind of pretend that everything's okay and everything's happy families? What I do want to ask is, does a story like this actually affect a brand? Because as much as I'm going to read these headlines and find it really interesting and really shocking and really surprising, I still love the Daily Edited. Like, I'm still going to buy their stuff. I'm still going to buy their phone case when I eventually upgrade my phone. I'm curious if any of this would actually shake a brand's financial output. There always seems to be a way that it does, even though on an individual level, I think, nah, this doesn't change my consumption behavior. Like if I'm going to buy a new phone case, I'll buy from there because I have for the last five years. I feel like every time we hear a story like this, it does seem to have an impact on a much broader scale. And I can't pretend to sit here and explain why, but it definitely tends to. But it feels like to me, it's why a story like this one, like a public falling out drag through the courts, isn't just a business story. Like this goes beyond business into marketing brand and eventually Instagram culture, if I'm honest, because so many young women, as we said at the start, have a vested interest in the brand and the story behind it. Yeah. I wonder as well if it's almost like a shadow, even if the average Australian or more specifically the average daily edited customer, even if they don't recall the details of what this is, even if they can't really like pluck on memories of what's happened between Elise and Tanya here, they probably remember that something controversial within the brand has happened. So as soon as they see the daily edited store or that comes up on their Instagram feed, they go, oh, there's something about that brand. But do you think the average person knew about this story? Like until we started speaking about it to our audience, I would love to poll the listeners when we do your Say Friday to be like, did you hear about this story before we spoke about it? Because was this hitting their radar? Well, it depends. I think it depends if they're reading, first of all, Sydney Morning Herald. It was a very prominent story there on Tuesday. And then the Daily Mail. I wonder if shameless listeners are looking at the Daily Mail, even if they're not clicking. Like I often scroll through the Daily Mail homepage without actually clicking on the stories. Well, I hadn't heard of this story until you guys just started talking about it. Really? Yeah. Are you interested? Do you care about the Daily Edited and what happens to their brand? I am, but I'm like both of you. I'll still shop there. I do think though it leaves a sour taste in my mouth after hearing this story. Interesting. We will find out from the rest of you. If you've got thoughts on this, you know where we are. We're at Shameless Podcast. We also have a hotline that is on our website, shamelessmediaco.com. And Your Say Friday is always a thing. Come give us your opinions there like you have been doing so wonderfully. If you have missed what Your Say Friday is, typically we drop the polls and we kind of hear all of your thoughts on what we discuss in the episode the day after the episode drops. So on a Friday... Obviously, this Friday is Good Friday, Zara. It's a public holiday in Australia. So we will be pushing it to Monday when I will be working. So your say Friday will be your say Monday. Yeah, it doesn't quite have the same (laughs) ring to it, but we will hear all your thoughts then. Hey, thank you so much for listening. As always, that is all we've got time for today. If you want to support the show, and we love how much you do, we are on Spotify. And if you want to hit that big sort of follow green button, that would be great on Apple Podcasts that purple subscribe button if you're feeling extra generous you can leave us a five-star review leave us a five-star review if you like us otherwise all good no hard feelings (laughs) no hard feelings at all you can't be everything to everyone that's what my mother tells me hey as i said we're on instagram at shameless podcast our book club is also on instagram the shameless book club we'll be back in your ears on monday bye bye 
Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.